Welcome to Core of the Matter, the public affairs show for 90.3 The Core. I'm your host, Yashwant Manjanath. And today, we're going to be talking about recent attempts by this new Republican Congress to uh, restrict abortion rights. And, yeah, it should be an interesting conversation. To start the show off, we're going to have a taped interview that I did on Friday with Jean Bucaria of uh, Now NYC, the founding chapter of the National Organization for Women. And uh, to close out the show, the last two segments will be a conversation about the interview and about recent uh, anti-abortion bills in Congress with two girls from Radigals, a uh, on-campus group here at Rutgers affiliated with uh, Douglas College. And you got uh, one girl here from uh, RU Choice. So uh, that's the show for today. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to start out with the, the interview I did with Gene Bucaria. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Hope you guys find it as interesting and informative as I did. And uh, you're listening to Core of the Matter here on 90.3 The Core. Can you tell us a little bit about the National Organization for Women and what your role is at uh, NOW NYC? Sure. Well, I work at the New York City chapter of the National Organization for Women. And our mission is really to advocate for the women of gir- women and girls of New York. Um, I'm the deputy director here, and I my, my primary job is to advance that mission. Um, We do focus on a lot of uh, local issues, but sometimes there are federal issues that we take on as well. Our um, focus is promoting and protecting reproductive rights, um, empowering women financially, and we also work to end uh, violence and discrimination against women. So we work on a whole range of um, women's rights issues. Okay. Now, this is a a general question, and then I'll get more specific after, you know, based on your initial response. Sure. What do you know about the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act? Quite a lot, actually, because, um, you know, we've been monitoring uh, sort of the slew of anti-choice bills that have been coming out of Congress. And this bill in particular is absolutely outrageous. It really looks like it sets out to completely ban um, insurance coverage for abortion. So we're very concerned about this bill. Okay. Now, as I understand it, the current law of the land when it comes to federal funding for abortion is the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits federal funding for abortion except in cases of rape, incest, or when the mother's life is in danger. So how does this new law change that current policy? Well, I think you make a really good point. I mean, you know, the one thing I want to say about this bill, the no taxpayer funding for abortion, is that just the very title itself is an outright lie. I mean, there is no taxpayer funding for abortion. There is no federal tax fund for abortion as that stands currently. Um, Because, as you said, the Hyde Amendment already restricts these funds, which would basically be uh, Medicaid for um, poor women that need access to abortion. So it basically says that women cannot access it for their health. They cannot access it if they feel that they um, don't have the means to uh, raise a child. or for whatever reason, they might need access to abortion. The only exceptions that are out there are for a woman's life for, or in the cases where she was raped or um, had the terrible experience of incest. So that's what the Hyde Amendment does. Now, what this bill would do is it would take it a step further, because currently the Hyde Amendment needs to be reauthorized every year. So it would just codify the Hyde Amendment. So that's, that's just one thing that the bill would do. The other thing is that it actually sought out to uh, narrow the exceptions, which I think are very small as, it, as they currently exist. So the initial language for the bill had in it, it mentioned that it, wouldn't, it didn't just say rape, incest, or life. It said forcible rape, incest for minors, and life. So it actually sought to narrow um, the restrictions even further for really the most vulnerable, most victimized people. So that really set off an outrage in the women's rights community and just in communities in general that just felt that that was a step too far. Why do you think that Republicans made an attempt to redefine rape in order to cut off federal funding for abortion, one of their top priorities for this new Congress? Exactly that. I mean, it because cutting off um, not just insurance coverage for abortion, but just cutting off abortion rights in general is is a top priority of uh, conservatives and of this Republican Congress. And I think that they are going to push as hard as possible to actually try to do everything in their power to make abortion as 
inaccessible as it could be. Uh, we sent out an action alert about this bill, uh, I think it was last week. And, you know, one of the things we, one of the big questions we asked was, who's going to care if abortion's legal? And the reason we said that was because who's going to care if abortion is legal if it's only in name and women can actually not access it? And I think that's the goal of this uh, Congress. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be a particularly top priority, especially given that each year roughly two-tenths of a penny is spent on taxpayer, federally funded abortions. So what do you think finally made them buckle on that forcible rape provision? And uh, what were some of your uh, concerns about that language? Well, first of all, I, I mean, our concerns, I mean, this, this really turns the clock back 20, 30 years. I mean, anti-violence advocates for women have been working for years to... Uh, to make sure that rape is taken seriously. I think that we've covered a lot of ground. I think that there's still um, so much more to be done. But the idea that you would limit it in such a way where um, if a 12- or 13-year-old girl is raped by a 30-year-old or is compelled to have sex in some way with a 30-year-old man and gets uh, pregnant, that girl would not be covered under this law to access abortion. If a woman was drugged, would that fall under what the Republicans defined here as forcible rape? I don't know. It doesn't, it didn't seem like that would, would be the case. So, you know, and I really, I don't know why, but I think it just, dem- I don't know why the Republicans would try to do this, but I think that it just demonstrates their lack of concern and understanding uh, uh, for women in general, for women's lives. And I think that they're out of touch with, with the American public, and I think they're out of touch with reality when it comes to uh, women. <laughs> Oh, okay. Did uh, your organization play a part in lobbying against that language? And uh, again, what what do you think finally made the Republicans take the language out? I think, you know, I think their ultimate goal is to restrict abortion access uh, as much as possible, or even going so far as to overturn Roe. So I think that's their goal. So perhaps just in hindsight, maybe they didn't think that that, you know, trying to put this language in, they didn't anticipate that it would create such a surge of opposition. I think it was just they realized that people weren't going to stand for that, so they just decided to take it out so they had a chance to pass the bill. Because at the end of the day, it was really giving, say, um, more moderate folks a reason to reject the bill. Um, I think there are a whole host of reasons to reject the bill, which I hope we will get to, um, aside from this one provision. But But Don't worry, we will. (laughs) (laughs) But certainly, you know, I think... There was just a tremendous amount of pressure coming from the online activist community, um, you know, making headlines in the news, even ending up with a segment on The Daily Show. And I think people just saw that the the general public wasn't ready for something like this, and nor should they be. Have you or anyone at your organization been able to get in touch with any of the co-sponsors of the bill? Uh, We haven't been in touch with them as of yet, but we're certainly um, doing everything we can to mobilize our members, and we know... Um, our members are at the ready to um, putting, you know, to put calls in. We've we've asked our members to put calls in to Speaker Vayner's office. Um, we've asked them to contact uh, Representative Chris Smith, who is the sponsor of this bill that we're talking about. And we also want people to call their own congressperson and let them know why um, they don't want to see a bill like this get through and what it means to their lives. So I urge people that are uh, against this bill to uh, make those calls because we know that the opposition is making those calls. Okay, so why do you think House Republicans have chosen to focus on abortion at a time when voters desperately want to see Congress do something about jobs and the state of the economy? I think abortion is the, is probably it's it's an easy win for them in whether they get the whether they get these bills passed or not. It's a way for them to play to their conservative base and and win points. So um, I think a lot of it has to do with political posturing. And I, I also think that, you know, we really have one of the most anti-choice Congresses since Roe. And I think they're very serious about, um, you know, trying to end abortion in this country or restrict it as much as they possibly can. So I think it's both something that they want to do, but I feel even more so that it's just a way for them to um, play to their base and also distract from what's really going on which is like people's concerns about the economy and people's concerns about jobs. I mean, we're not seeing um, a lot done on that, even though that's the platform that they, that all the incoming Republicans were running on. Day one, what they cared most about is, you know, restricting the rights of women. 
seeing as how this this could be one of the most anti-choice uh, Congresses we've ever seen, do you anticipate future attempts to restrict abortion rights and you know from this Congress? And uh, if so, I mean something more savvy, I suppose, than than trying to redefine rape like uh, the Stupak Pitts Amendment from the health care debate? I mean, that really gets to the heart of what this bill is about, which is really what, you know, there's a movement right now to basically try to ban insurance coverage for abortion. So the Republicans, from the start of discussing and debating uh, and passing health care reform, um, the Republicans, the conservative Republicans, have seen this as an opportunity to try to shut out coverage for abortion. And they saw it as a way that they could sort of maybe through the back door, instead of trying to directly overturn Roe. Uh, they, it's a backdoor way of choking off access to abortion. And, you know, this bill has implications for thousands of women for, across the country. I mean, you know, one of the things that the health care reform does is it establishes these health care exchanges, which are available to small businesses and individuals that couldn't otherwise afford insurance because they're going to get a tax subsidy to um, afford this insurance and these health exchanges. And what this bill would do is it would be put an outright ban on insurance coverage for abortion on these exchanges without everyone from the exchanges. And that's essentially what, you know, that's essentially what Stupac intended to do. So, so um, sorry yeah, to cut you off there, but, sure. but uh, I just wanted to clarify something you said. So this would, it would reinstate the Stupac language like that, that would become the law of the land. It would, it would exactly. go, wow. Yeah. It would. And, you know, what's so what's so outlandish is that, you know, the compromises that have already been made in the um, in the health care reform bill that we currently have, it already allows individual states to institute SUPAC at the state level. So a state, a more conservative state can say, you know what, we're not going to have insurance coverage for abortion. And they can just reject that as a state. So there are already going to be places in the country where this is going to happen. But to have the federal government tell, say, New York or New Jersey as a state, hey, you're, you're in charge of um, putting, in, you know, putting together these exchanges, but you, here's a restriction. You have to restrict a legal medical procedure from insurance coverage in your state. It's exactly the opposite of letting states and individuals decide what they need to do. Yeah, I wasn't aware that this would reinsert the, the Stupak language. Now, you mentioned the no federal funding aspect would apply to the new health insurance exchanges. Would the law apply to health savings accounts? It would apply to health savings accounts, so people would not be able to use their health savings account to pay for an abortion. The other thing, it goes even further. I'm calling this a woman tax because this is really a tax on uh, women's health and women's That's good framing there, woman tax. Well, because what what we're seeing is that it's not only... So we talked about the health care exchanges, but it goes further. It, it really starts delving into private insurance as well because if you're an employer and you want to purchase insurance plans for your employees, and you need to get tax credits in order to afford that, well, if you have an insurance plan that covers abortion, you don't get those tax credits. That's it. If you're an individual who just wants to go out in the market and purchase a plan that covers abortion, you also cannot get those tax credits. You, ca- you, cannot, um, you cannot deduct the cost of medical care, as you can now, if you have a plan that covers abortion. So this is outlandish. This bill goes far beyond, far beyond anything that we've seen and far beyond the law of the land. And the truth of the matter is, uh, HHS Secretary uh, Kathleen Sebelius, she came out right after this bill was um, introduced saying, there is no taxpayer coverage for abortion. So, and and again, we we have the Hyde Amendment that has been reauthorized for the past uh, more than 30 years. So that already sets that standard. In the current health care reform bill, you already have to you're going to have to write a separate check for abortion abortion coverage. That's already in the law. So what this so we've already compromised so much. I mean, who's going to be writing these separate checks? You know, who no, women don't plan to need to access abortion. So there are going to be a lot of people that might forego these payments. There are going to be a lot of businesses that don't want to have this type of insurance coverage. Um, we don't know, you know just how far the ramifications can go, um, but. You know, they're really trying to build a system where there's no incentive for a company or an individual to have an insurance plan that covers abortion. All right. You're listening to Core of the Matter here on 90.3 The Core, the uh, weekly public affairs show. I'm your host, Yashwant Manjanath, and you're listening to uh, part one of my interview last Friday with Jean Bukaria of uh, 
Now NYC, the founding chapter of the uh, National Organization for Women. When we come back from the break, we'll hear part two, and uh, we'll have a couple discussions about what these new anti-abortion bills mean for women all over the country. Welcome back to Core of the Matter here on 90.3 The Core. I'm your host, Yashwant Majanath, and you're listening to, uh, well, you're about to listen to part two of my interview with uh, Jean Bukaria. So uh, without further ado, back to the interview. So, so this is... This is a move in this country from, you know, I mean, well, I guess we've never really considered abortion a right with the Hyde Amendment in place, but it really is on its way to becoming a privilege for just the wealthy who can afford it. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. And you know what? To, to be honest, that's already been the case because that's what Hyde has done. Poor women already um, don't have access to abortion when they need it. And it, in addition to that, you know, you know, the stats are out there. I mean, 87% of counties in the U.S. don't have an abortion provider. So people, you know, women have to travel. You know, they have to find access to funding through whatever means they can. And that choice is just not really there for um, low-income women. And it hasn't been there. So this is taking that even further back. And then if you, if you also look at, you know, the number of abortions that are covered through Medicaid today, um, that number is next to nothing. It's, it's really, I, I mean, I saw um, a couple of different reports citing that the number, putting the number at under 100. I think that number last year you know, from the Daily Show segment that you mentioned, I think it was 191 uh, abortions that were paid for through Medicaid last year, which again amounts to like two-tenths of a penny per taxpayer for the year. So this really isn't uh, you know, costing the federal government a lot of money so, it's a, yeah, it's absolutely not. I mean, really, the way that the, the Hyde Amendment works, it already pretty much um, does the job of, of um, shutting down any sort of federal funding. I mean, it, you know, it, it shuts down federal funding for abortion. But even in the cases of rape, incest, and life, women who are, say, say a woman who is uh, raped and trying to obtain abortion an abortion um, and have it covered by Medicaid, there are so many hurdles, paperwork, documentation, uh, to go through that, you know, a lot of uh, clinics, they have so much trouble, they can't even get reimbursed. So it's it's not as if, oh, we're pouring, you know, millions and millions of dollars toward this. You know, the the, the real point is it's a backward, backdoor way of just putting an outright ban on insurance coverage for abortion. So now that the, I guess, forcible language, uh, I mean, you've already pretty much answered this question anyway, but uh, now that the forcible rape language has been removed, <laughs> is your organization still opposed to the passages, passage of this bill, and, and if so, why? <laughs> I mean, that's, it's an absolute no-brainer for us. I mean, we, I mean, like I said, I mean, this is a woman tax, um, but not only that, this, this bill is just, you know, will be devastating to women and girls. I mean, if you want to look at what happens when you really restrict abortion access or when you make it illegal in a country, you just have to look around the, at the rest of the world. There are many countries that make abortion illegal. There's a recent video that was put out by the Center for Reproductive Rights about um, women in the Philippines. And it's, what this means is that women die. That's, that's flat out what it means. I mean, there, I think the number is about um, 70,000 women a year die around the world because of trying to access an unsafe abortion. We have to do every, you know, the National Organization for Women, women's rights advocates, anyone that cares about um, protecting reproductive rights uh, has to mobilize and do everything we can to not only reject this bill, but reject the slew of bills um, that are actually being introduced. Now you, you bring up that there are a slew of bills. What are the uh, expected consequences if they pass? Well, I mean, aside from this bill, um, there was another bill that came out uh, not too long. Actually, I don't remember if it was before or after, but it was in the same time frame. Uh, let me see what the, I don't know if I recall the name, but basically the, the bill sets out to defund family planning. So it, it was introduced by um, Representative Mike Spence, and basically what the bill will do is it will prevent any Title Ten dollars, which is basically federal funding for family planning efforts um, from going to any health clinic, such as like Planned Parenthood, but other women's health clinics as well, that provide abortion. 
already, again, there are restrictions. So if a clinic, if a women's health clinic receives um, Title X dollars, they can't use any of that funding for anything related to abortion. But what they do use that funding for is uh, vital women's health um, services. They use it for providing contraception, education. They use it for cancer screening. They um, use it for um, screening for sexually transmitted infections. That's what that money is going toward. It's going toward um, preventative services. And, you know, basically this would bring the global gag rule that, you know, a lot of groups have been against for years. Is that the Mexico City deal under Reagan? Is that what you're referring exactly. to? Exactly. But, it, you know, it was also um, brought, up, brought back under Bush as well. I mean, um, which basically stops any dollars from the U.S. Um, from going to any health clinics around the world that provide an abortion, even if they're providing other vital health services to women. And the same with places, you know, clinics around the world, same as here. Some of these, you know, women's health clinics, that's the, a lot of women's only access to health care, especially if you're talking about low-income women. That might be their only, the only health care that they get. So by, you know, choking off those dollars, you're really threatening to, um, you know, defund family planning and uh, close down these clinics. And this is, you know, this is women's health care uh, that's at stake. So... You know, and and simply doesn't make sense because okay, so you you want to reject uh, women's access to abortion, but you also want to reject women's access to doing anything to prevent unintended pregnancy. I mean, how do you make sense of that? Now, given given what this Congress is is trying to do when it comes to not just abortion rights, but uh, I mean, it looks like just cutting off funding for for vital services for women's health care in general. Uh, why do you think that uh, the GOP did so much better with the women vote in uh, 2010 than they did in uh, 2008? You know, I, I don't know if I, <laughs> I'm not a political analyst. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I can answer that. I mean, I think, um, you know, part of it is cyclical. Um, you know, people, people, you know, whoever is in office, you tend to, um, you know, sway, you know, people that are more moderate might tend to sway back and forth. Um, I think also, you know, sometimes people put social issues behind their pocketbook. So, uh, you know, people might not vote as much on abortion rights as, or might not think that they need to um, vote as much on abortion rights. I mean, I think um, a lot of voters here in New York City don't think that way, but I think, um, yeah, I can't speak to, you know, we saw what happened across the country. Yeah, I just, I find it amazing because I feel like if if people really knew what this Congress was planning on doing and what some of these people that they voted for were planning on doing beforehand, I mean, I find it hard to believe that a lot of these people on the Republican side still would have won. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is one of the, you know, one of the challenges is we really have to um, do as much as we can to continue to educate people about about the reality of what um, this conservative Republican agenda looks like. And you know, we can't afford to not consider abortion rights. Um, I think, you know, we saw a sliding back from, I don't know, from some time ago when, when Democrats started um, just trying to get um, anti-choice Democratic candidates elected to office just so that we can have, um, you know, that they can have a majority in the caucus. And, and I think that um, it's a problem. It's a problem when you're trying to get members in that don't support um, one of the fundamental aspects of the platform, which is um, to protect women's choice. Yeah, and, you, you know, we're, we're going to be paying for that now. We're paying for that. I mean, there are actually nine Democrats that are signed on to the no taxpayer funding for abortion. That's actually what I was bill. right about to ask. Uh, who are those Democrats? Let's see. I don't I don't think that I have all their names uh, in front of me, but I know that they're I mean, first of all, for you know, People in New Jersey listening, I mean, you have to contact um, Representative Chris Smith, who, of course, is the um, sponsor of this bill. Um, but also there are, I think, at least two other representatives from New Jersey who are currently co-sponsoring. Um, I have here Frank Lobianello and Scott Garnett. Um, there's also quite a few um, New York representatives, Michael Grimm, Peter King, Christopher Lee, uh, Anne-Marie Burkle. So uh, there's definitely... Um, you know, local representatives that are Democrats who are supporting this um, outrageous agenda. 
So and they need to hear. You know, every, you know, they really need to hear. They need to, their phones to be ringing off the hook um, from opponents. I mean, this this bill is out of touch with the public. Um, there was a, a poll recently that found that seventy four percent of American voters disagree with taxing more. You know, in, increasing taxes on people that pay for a private plan that covers abortion. Yeah, seventy four percent. I mean, that speaks for itself. Well, hopefully, uh, after people listen to this interview, they pick up the phone and decide to call their congressmen uh, about well, this issue. I hope they do. And, I mean, um, if they don't know who that person is or if they, they want to get through to their congressperson, I, um, I have the switchboard number. Um, people should call 202-224-3121. Uh, that's 202-224-3121. I also invite people to go to our website, um, nownyc.org. Uh, you can go at the very top of that page. There are links uh, about a number of the anti-abortion bills that we're seeing coming out, um, and there are links to um, write letters or to automatic letters to your representatives. You know, a few clicks, you can educate yourself, you can uh, make sure that your voice gets heard. Well, this is the last question I have for you. Uh, how does Now NYC plan to fight the passage of this bill, and will you try to make this a campaign issue for the 2012 election? This is absolutely, um, you know, a priority for us. So we are, um, you know, like I said, we're going to continue to mobilize our members to make these calls. Uh, we ha- have some meetings in the works to see um, what other actions we might take to educate as many people as we can about what is happening. I mean, there's also a bill called um, a Protect Life bill that came out today that um, might allow um, hospital workers to refuse abortion care for a woman, even if it's to protect her life. There's um, a Life Begins a Conception bill. Um, so it, it's really an all-out assault, and uh, we're going to be doing everything we can to make sure that uh, not only that none of this gets passed, but to really mobilize people to, um, to wake up that, that this is, we can't compromise anything anymore. We can't, we can't make these compromises. We have to um, draw the line here. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. And uh, it was really interesting talking to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. All right. And uh, you're listening to Core of the Matter here on 90.3 of the Core. I'm your host, Yashwant Poinjanath, and this is our weekly public affairs show. You were just listening to my interview with Gene Bukaria from last Friday about uh, the recent slew of anti-abortion bills in Congress. After we come back from the break, I'll have uh, two representatives from Radigals, one of our uh, on-campus groups here at Rutgers, who have uh, plenty to say about these abortion bills. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to Core of the Matter here on 90.3 The Core, our weekly public affairs show. I'm your host, Yashwant Manjanath, and now I'm joined in studio with uh, two representatives from Radigals, one of our uh, feminist groups here at Rutgers, to talk about uh, uh, the uh, No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act and uh, some of the other anti-abortion pieces of legislation that Gene brought up during your interview. So hope you guys enjoyed this discussion as much as... uh, as much as I'm planning on enjoying it, <laughs> so why don't uh, why don't you two introduce yourselves for the audience? Okay, uh, my name is Kate, and I'm Anna, and uh, we're the Radicals. We're the Undergraduate Women's and Gender Studies Association, and uh, we're a group of feminists that focus on different social and political issues through a feminist discourse. And um, we meet in the Women's Center on Douglas Campus on Wednesdays at nine. All right. So uh, what did you guys think of the interview and uh, some of the points that Jean brought up? Um, I think it's very important, specifically like the last thing she said about keeping ourselves educated. I think that this needs to be something that is constantly talked about and is there's just this constant discourse about it. Because when we stop talking about it, then acts, then acts like this can go through when we're not keeping ourselves educated and we're not keeping ourselves conscious that we need to be just very conscious of these issues, I guess is the best way to put it, that I think that she brings that home. Like that is a very important part that if we don't keep talking about this, then our rights can be taken away. So what are some of uh, your specific objections to uh, HR3? 
the uh, No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act? Well, I mean, the whole controversy of, of including this word forcible in front of rape in the bill, you know, that was taken away pretty quickly. And now there's this provision that was introduced by Joe Pitts, which basically allows hospitals to turn women away if the, the, um, the birth could be life-threatening. And it's, it's also, um, it's mandatory for hospitals, if they will not provide an abortion, that they transfer the women to another hospital that will. So there's this provision that's going to basically allow hospitals to just turn women away and not even transfer them anywhere else, which, it, I mean, it's, it's an attack on women. So you're you're talking about the uh, the Protect Life Act? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't really understand what the logic behind that bill is either. And uh, I mean, I guess as far as uh, the responsibility of hospitals, I mean, there is that that 1986 law, the Emergency Medical Treatment and uh, and Labor Act, to provide emergency care to anyone who shows up, regardless of their ability to pay. And, I mean, in the case of a life-threatening surgery, hospitals up until now, if they're receiving Medicare and Medicaid funding, they've been required to do so. So that definitely is a, is a radical change from, from existing federal law. But you know, it's interesting that whenever you bring up that these bills are, I guess, radical changes from existing federal law, when Joe Pitts was asked about this, actually, he, uh, he mentioned that that no, that this was just on a, a right that doctors and hospitals already had. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Uh, why do you think that Joe Pitts is, is not proud of this provision that he just introduced? I mean, I, I can't say why he's he's not proud of it. Um, but I mean, I think this is an indirect attack on the Affordable Care Act introduced by Obama. I mean, it's it's banning abortion coverage in, in new health insurance insurance exchanges, which is, you know, one of the biggest parts of the Affordable Care Act. It's 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 ridiculous. But I can't answer. Yeah, for I, I guess I'm not sure. I guess what, what I was getting at there was that, I mean, if, uh, you know, it, it seems like he's not very willing to stand by what he's trying to do. So it really seems like this this new Congress, uh, not only are they trying to take away abortion rights and affect, uh, you know, cut off funding to women's health care and. And, uh, you know, things like that. They're trying to do it in a way that that uh, they're trying to get away with it and trying to do it, I guess, like in a shadowy way where they hope no one notices. I mean, definitely like this this whole bill, you know, when it was first introduced, it's it's normalizing rape. It's it's basically acknowledging that rape happens and it, it's not looking any deeper into the issue. It's not acknowledging like why this happens or why why this is so traumatic for women and, and how this needs to be stopped. I mean, that is a deeper issue. Violence against women happens every single day. And like that, that's not what's being considered in this discussion. Yeah. And, you know, Joe Pitts, I actually hadn't heard of this guy until uh, the health care reform debate when he co-sponsored the Stupak Pitts Amendment, which uh, mm-hmm. was was trying to cut off. I guess abortion coverage for women, not only who, uh, not only federal funding through Medicaid, but also through these new health insurance exchanges, where it's conceivable that that abortion coverage just wouldn't be covered by private insurance anymore. Uh, what are some of your thoughts about that, and I guess about the healthcare reform process overall? I mean, the healthcare system is is broken. I mean, you hear that all the time, and it just it's so sad to see that you know when Republicans take over the House that. The first thing to go in an economic downturn is women's health. I mean, there, there's not much more to say to, to say to that. I mean, it is attack on women's health. Yeah. Now, do you think the Democrats, in their efforts to get health care reform passed, made way too many concessions in the way of abortion rights and, and women's health to the Republicans in order, to, and and also to pro-life members of their own caucus in order to just get a bill passed? Like, I mean, what Gene brought up was uh, was how I, states can already institute stupac language on their own, and then and uh, that there were, I guess, these concessions made to allow uh, you know private insurance to cut off uh, abortion coverage. I guess you know through these exchanges. I mean, yeah, the federal provision didn't pass, but it, it seems like the Democrats, my, I mean, at least in my opinion, betrayed the their pro-choice uh, constituency with through this health care reform process? Well, I, I, th- I think that, um, you know, when the Affordable Care Act was passed, people felt that it was, there was a loophole, you know, it, through, the, through the Hyde Amendment, which, you know, bars uh, federal funding for abortion. And then basically through, through this new bill that's being introduced, 
this Stupak Amendment is basically being enacted, and it, it is preventing women from buying health insurance policies that cover abortion. It, it's also preventing them from using their own money, with which is what these uh, these uh, what what are they? The health the health accounts the health. Um, health saving accounts. You know, they're not allowed to use those for buying abortion. And when they do actually get coverage through their insurance for abortion, they're they're not allowed to use that. So it's it's restricting them in every possible way. Yeah, for those of you listening who don't know what a health savings account is, it's a, a medical savings account that people can invest their own money into tax-free if they're enrolled in a high deductible insurance plan. So so you're saying that if this bill passes that people will be barred, women will be barred from using their own money that they have in this tax deductible account uh, to pay for an abortion. That it, it, it goes beyond insurance coverage. Yeah, yeah, that's that's unbelievable. I mean, it, it really goes beyond just abortion rights. That I, I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, I mean, and the Radigals were uh, the first group on campus last year to kind of hold a healthcare reform event, and I, I just think that it, it's so. It's so shady. It's so sketchy to me to see that so, like so many Republicans are trying to repeal Obama's Obama's health care plan. And they ran on the ticket for Congress that they were going to get jobs back, that they were going to fix this this recession. And now, you know, John Boehner says the first his first priority is to um, cut federal funding for abortion. And it's just it's this whole I mean, it's this whole attack on the healthcare, on healthcare reform, and it, it's just incredibly upsetting and disenchanting to see that in 2011, that abortion and women's rights are the first thing to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's been made pretty clear that uh, that this new Republican majority in Congress is anti-choice. But is it fair to say, you know, given that you know, these two two bills, uh, these aren't fringe elements within the Republican Party, the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act. That had 170 co-sponsors. This uh, Protect Life Act that really endangers the lives of women who uh, need an abortion to save their lives and gives doctors the right to to not perform the abortion. I mean, in addition to to being anti-choice, is it fair to say that this new Congress is anti-women? Um, honestly, it's it's hard to say that you can't push people's viewpoints like if they are saying they're just anti-choice not anti-woman i can't put words into their mouth but there's no way to say that these acts do not directly affect the lives of women so whether they try and push some sort of morality or religious backing behind it that they feel that these are should be high priority there's no there's no doubting that it directly affects the lives of women per my sorry all right collect yourself sorry um specifically women of lower income like these are direct attacks on them because they are already in this marginalized groups that rely on things such as medicare and medicaid and if you're going to take away even more of like the rights and what goes into funding it is a direct attack on women specifically women of lower income yeah I'm, i just bring that up because you know to be honest for me personally i don't like talking about the abortion issue just because you know i do think at a at a certain point it really does come down to your own ideological beliefs and and you know facts and logic and evidence all that really there's a, i guess at some point when you're talking about just abortion you know people are going to everyone's going to draw their line in a different place but the reason i wanted to do this show and talk about these specific bills is that it it seems like they're going beyond just trying to prevent uh, abortion in this country. It seems like they're taking this added step to to being, you know, intentionally callous with their treatment of, of women overall. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, I mean, this last word for you guys about, about you know, what your thoughts might be about that. Um, I really think that it, it's, it's disgusting and it is disheartening that they're using the lives of women as like a political pawn. And I think that, I don't know what that says, but it honestly, if you think about it, it's incredibly disheartening that it's looked at as if it's not like a serious case. Like the case of rape and the case of abortion is not looked at seriously enough. And rather it's used as a political pawn to get different sides like against each other, you know? Yeah. And I I just want to say too that, you know, for 38 years, it's been a constitutional right for women to have an abortion, the right to choose. And, you know, Rutgers doesn't have a National Organization for Women chapter on campus. And I think it's incredibly important that we acknowledge this right and that it can be taken away very easily. And we need to 
continue this discussion on campus within groups uh, anywhere. It's it's really important. I was at a, um, a National Organization for Women event back in October or November, and uh, I was talking to someone, and she told me that she heard that the average age of a NOW member is 70, and NOW is very active in, you know, pro-choice, in, in women's right to health, but it's our generation that is going to be most affected by this bill. So there needs to be a, a conversation between people and especially conversation between, you know, um, the different generations in the feminist movement. We need to come together and we need to strategize and we need to figure out how we're going to stop these bills because it's, it's, it is threatening to our rights. All right. Well, that was a great note to end on. Thank you guys for joining me today. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Core of the Matter here on 90.3 The Core. Welcome back to Core of the Matter here on 90.3 The Core, our weekly public affairs show. If you've been following along, we've been talking about some of the uh, recent bills in Congress introduced by the new Republican majority that uh, threaten not only women's right to choose, but also funding for women's health care. And uh, you just heard our segment with uh, Radigals. Well, for the last segment of the show, I'm going to be talking to uh, talking to somebody from RU Choice, one of our uh, pro-choice groups here at Rutgers. And uh, why don't you tell us, why don't you introduce yourself for, uh, for our audience here and uh, tell us a little bit about RU Choice. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Gianna Santelli. I'm from RU Choice, which is a women's health organization on campus. We're directly affiliated with Planned Parenthood. And um, we just mostly work towards like health education and advocacy for uh, women's health. I mean, not just abortion rights, but health in general. All right. Now, how did uh, how did you first hear about uh, some of these new uh, abortion bills introduced by the Republican majority, like HR three, the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act, and the the Protect Life Act that Joe Pitts introduced? Uh, well, actually, this might sound a little silly, but I first started hearing about it on Twitter. Um, I follow a lot of you know different feminist movements on Twitter, and that's when. I, when it really started to pick up steam, I kept on seeing all these hashtags, and I just picked it up from there. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, you can't really knock Twitter anymore, right? Uh, they played a huge part in that uh, revolution going on in Egypt right now. So, uh, hey, Twitter becoming an instrument for social change. <laughs> so, what uh, what do you think about? Let's start with the the uh, with HR three, the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act. What are some of you know your personal objections to it, and and uh, are you choices ob- objections to the bill? Okay. Um, my biggest objection, I think, is the one is a common sense objection. That is, this new house came in promising, you know, creating jobs, helping the economy, and the first thing they do is go attack a woman's right to an abortion when she's privately insured, which is kind of silly to me. Like, that's not creating a job. You're not going to find a job inside a woman's uterus. Um, that's a good line. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Like, why is this your main concern right now? Like, as you're wasting our time and our money, taxpayer time and money. We elected you. So. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, you know, one thing that I hadn't known about HR3 before uh, before I did my interview with Gene was that this would, uh, you know, this bill would bring back the, the Stupak language that was so controversial during the healthcare debate. And uh, was uh, RU Choice involved in, I guess, of fighting back against the Stupak Amendment during the healthcare debate, and uh, like, what do you think about the possibility that Stupak is codified into federal law if this this new No Taxpayer Funding Act passes? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime there's going to be a threat to women's health, we're on the scene. So you're on the case. Sorry. Yeah, we're definitely there. So you know, we definitely had something to do with it: petitioning, phone banking, uh, the usual. <laughs> um, but right now, it's kind of frustrating because Stupak goes away. Same players come right back up in new bills. It's like uh, that carnival game with like the gophers. Like you're hitting them. <laughs> whack a mole. Yeah, whack a mole. They keep on just coming back up. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, that uh, yeah, Stupak retired after that last Congress. But well, the co-sponsor of the bill, Joe Pitts, he uh, he's still there, and he actually uh, he introduced the uh, Protect Life Act, which 
I mean, has the most ironic name ever because it really, really isn't protecting life at all. Uh, I was wondering what your thoughts were about that act and uh, uh, what impact it could have on, on women's health. Okay, uh, the Protect Life Act is just, in my opinion, scary. Like, this is saying that a doctor, if he doesn't want to perform an abortion, he if he's opposed to it, A, he doesn't have to, B, he doesn't need to refer you to someplace to get it. He's just going to kind of leave you hanging. And that's not a really good way to be. I mean, is it the Hippocratic, Hippocratic oath is first do no harm. I feel like that goes directly against the oath. Do no harm. You're going to let a woman who may need an abortion because she has cervical cancer or some sort of other life-threatening disease, not you're not going to do anything for her? That's ridiculous. And I feel that, I mean, as horrible as this sounds, God forbid, it doesn't matter to you until it's your mom, your aunt, your sister, your cousin in this situation. Don't you want her to be protected? This is a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous bill. Yeah, I, I guess, I, I don't know, uh, maybe maybe Joe Pitts, he, he, he just doesn't put himself in that situation, or I guess part of it is uh, is like a class thing too right like i guess these you know these wealthy well-off republican congressmen don't and i guess you know the democratic congressmen too who are also uh pro-life slash anti-women don't consider that uh you know well they they never have to worry about that situation because they can always afford to uh, pay for an abortion for their loved one if they really need one or uh i guess like that's that's just something that they don't really consider so with the uh, the 2010 elections that that just happened the uh, Republican party actually surprisingly did a lot better with women than they've done uh, than they did in 2008 and uh yeah I was wondering if you if you know like what you why you think that might be the case and uh whether or not maybe some of those women would have buyer's remorse if they were following <laughs> these uh <laughs> these anti women slash anti abortion bills making their way through congress um, well, I feel like the reason why women were going out to the polls voting Republican was definitely not because of all this anti-woman shenanigans. It was probably because, you know, like I said, the Republicans, they were promising all this great stuff. They were promising jobs. They were promising a better economy. I mean, that appeals to both genders. And rainbows it? and ponies. And yeah. Uh, and like all this awesome stuff. And then first thing is just coming out of nowhere. Actually. Let's just focus on women for a little while. That has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> like, so, do you guys like? Is uh, are you choice involved come uh, come election time with you know any political lobbying or anything like that? I know that you know you guys are affiliated with Planned Parenthood. Uh. Um, well, technically, we can't have we can't display any allegiance to either party or any party in general because Planned Parenthood is nonpartisan. Right. Therefore, are you choice is nonpartisan. I mean. The bills that we fight, we're not fighting because it's Republican or Democrat because I feel like yeah, people, people should note that uh, there are Democrats co-sponsoring H.R. 3. This is not just a big, bad Republican Party bill. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. It, it ultimately shouldn't matter when you're talking about loathsome policy decisions, which party is involved. Uh, so I guess does your organization plan on plan on doing anything to you know educate uh, women about this issue or, or you know people on campus uh, and uh i guess fight back against the passage of some of these uh some of these anti-women bills oh yeah definitely um actually just a little plug right now tonight are you choice is having a letter writing party in scott hall room 106 we're going to write to our representatives anyone is welcome to come right we'll pay for your postage and, I mean, besides that, we'll be writing editorials to the Targum. We'll be, you know, phone banking definitely is a huge thing. Uh, we've been working on it a lot already. We had a uh, meeting with Planned Parenthood affiliates this weekend, hammered out some ideas, some plans. We're definitely on it. Yeah, this is a little off topic, but, uh, you know, speaking of Planned Parenthood, I, I was wondering if you've been following that uh that, I guess, case involving the conservative activists with the video camera trying to trying to play gotcha with Planned Parenthood. Yeah, I mean, really, the person, the worker that was in that, her actions were reprehensible. That is not something that Planned Parenthood does. And the fact that they're trying to play a gotcha game 
is not going to work because that's not how Planned Parenthood works. That worker was terminated, and that is absolutely not what you would see in a Planned Parenthood. I've, I think that's disgusting that yeah. they would even try that. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it seems... Uh it seems like yeah you know, they're trying to pull what they did with Acorn, and it turned out that was based entirely on nothing because uh, Acorn was found innocent by by attorney generals uh, all all across the country. But yeah, you know, they still lost their funding anyway. Uh, do you think there's any possibility that Planned Parenthood loses their funding over a scandal like this? Well, I mean, I don't really want to go into it because it's a it's a tough topic. But I'm just going to say you should note that. The person that said those things was terminated immediately, and that's that's not how no one should run anything. A clinic would not be run like that. The woman is gone. It's been taken care of. What she did was terrible, reprehensible, and should not be reflected. Yeah, I, I agree. It's totally unfair to judge an entire organization based on the actions of one woman affiliated with, with the group. Uh, well, you know, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this week but thank you for joining us okay. uh, anything else you bring us okay. uh, anything else you want to say about are you choice before uh uh before no the show? Just meetings every tuesday nine o'clock room 106 in scott hall all right so if you if you've been interested in the show tonight and uh care about the issues we've been talking about check them out and uh that's all that's all we have for uh today's show but uh join us again next week when uh, we're going to have on Jack Cole, former narcotics detective for uh, New Jersey State Police, and now the founder of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. He's uh, going to come in and talk about why all drugs, even hard drugs like heroin and crack, should be legalized. So, come on, what are you going to do? You're going to miss that show? It's, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. But that's all I have for you guys this week. Again, you're listening to Core of the Matter, the uh, weekly public affairs show for 90.3 The Core. I'm your host, Yashan Lunjanath, and again, join me next week, 7 p.m., right here, 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. You've been listening to The Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core. Opinions expressed on The Core of the Matter are those of the participants only, and not necessarily those of WVPH-FM or Rutgers University. 